Hey folks, I'm Megan McCarty Carino. I'm in for Kyra's doll. Welcome back to Make Me Smart, where we make today make sense. And I'm Kimberly Adams. Thank you for joining us for What Do You Want to Know Wednesday, the day in the week where we answer listener questions with the help of our wonderful team over here at Make Me Smart. If you've got a question about the economy or business or tech, email us at makemesmart at marketplace.org or leave us a voicemail. Our number is 508-UB-SMART, which I've, I've kind of been wondering, why isn't it you are smart? I'm just, just saying, just saying. Today oh, we have no, a couple questions. because it's where the number is. It's, it's the number. Like, because the R is a different number on the phone. Well, it's I know, like, but why couldn't we make keypad? it? Whatever. Because, we so should have we didn't, done it with proper first, grammar. I'm just saying. Well, no, but so no, this is actually a fun story. When the number <laughs> first came out, it wasn't like anything related to it. it oh. It's just like one of the listeners recognized the UB smart. Are you and so kidding that me? was like added to it, it was later just, on. It was just a fortunate, it was just kismet? Sure. I don't know what Amazing. kismet means, but I'm going to go with it. Um, like and then I think. Yes. I think the smart part may have been planned, but the UB, okay. I don't okay. think so. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, anyway, now that we've settled that, we do have yes. a couple questions today about the Inflation Reduction Act, which we've talked a little bit about this week, but, you know, it's dense. Uh, it has a funny kind of name that is not super descriptive, but we're talking about the climate <laughs> bill, which included tax stuff, included... Uh, also, you know, drug price stuff. So let's hear it. Hey, Make Me Smart Team. This is Zach from Berkeley, California. I'm thinking about the uh, climate bill that just passed that also has a number of prescription drug elements to it. I was wondering, if they bring down the prices for prescription drugs for Medicare, which is the goal, will that bring down prescription drug prices for everyone? Thanks. Oh, wouldn't that be lovely? But no, <laughs> well, is no. the short answer. <laughs> it would be nice, but no. Uh, look, the biggest effect on of this is going to be on people with prescription drug coverage through Medicare, which is a mm. big chunk of people. It's 18.4% of the U.S. population in 2020, according to data from the U.S. Census Bureau. So specifically, the way that the bill brings down drug costs for Medicare is it allows the federal, the Secretary of Health and Human Services to negotiate directly with pharmaceutical companies uh, a certain number of drugs each year for Medicare. Plus, it puts a $2,000 per year cap in out-of-pocket costs for prescription drugs um, for those on Medicare. So it lowers those costs two ways. The drugs are going to be cheaper, and the total out-of-pocket cost for people on Medicare is going to be cheaper. Um, it also requires drug makers to offer rebates to Medicare if they raise the price of medicines faster than the you know inflation, although this year would probably be great for them because that means they could right. jack it up like 8.5%, Uh But we talked to James Robinson, a professor of health economics from the School of Public Health at UC Ber Berkeley about this, and he said that really there's not going to be much impact for non-Medicare patients because mm -hmm. it's really hard for Congress to pass legislation that will affect non-Medicare patients given the current dynamic of things. So here's, here's how that works. 
every so often you'll hear us talk about things getting through the Senate based on like reconciliation or something like that, which allows them to pass things with that party line vote, 50-50 with the vice president breaking the tie. But those votes have to have something to do with like the budget, Mm -hmm. right? And so if you say, hey, this is something that affects Medicare, all right, fine. That has to do with Mm. the budget because the federal government pays for Medicare. If you're saying, hey, we want to shape how the private industry pays for drug prices, eh, that's outside of the realm. And so you need 60 votes to get that passed. And so they did try to slip it in, but it didn't work because it didn't apply to the budget. And the Senate parliamentary was like, parliamentarian was like, no go. So anyway... This current bill only affects the public program passed with the 50 Democratic votes plus the one tiebreaker from Vice President Harris. All the Republicans opposed. We spoke to another expert, Juliet Kubanski, Deputy Director of the Program on Medicare Policy at the Kaiser Family Foundation. So much Kaiser this week. Um, yeah. I'm sorry, Kaiser Family Foundation is different from Kaiser Health News. Indeed. Why? Yes. But she confirms that it mostly affects people on Medicare. One provision might have spillover effects on the other types of insurance, which is the requirement for those rebates that drug makers have to pay if they raise um, prices over the cost of inflation. You know, that could lead pharmaceutical companies to introduce new drugs at higher prices than they might otherwise because it makes it harder for them to raise those prices later. But look, already new drugs are very expensive, especially today compared to like a decade ago. And so, you know, it's hard to tell if that concern is something that the industry is putting out there to try to you know, avoid this from happening in the first place, or if it's real. But, you know, at least for the people on Medicare, older Americans, Americans with disabilities, some people who have um, extreme health concerns, you know, they're going to they're going to feel some relief. So, Hmm. yeah, Yeah, I've seen some concerns voiced by by business groups, too, that, you know, for for employer based health plans that, you know, this is total speculation that, you know, perhaps pharmaceutical companies could try to recoup some of those costs by raising prices for those private plans, you know, that are that are sponsored by employers. That is just something that I've seen concerns about. I think, you know, all of this is is very complicated and has yet to, you know, we don't we don't know all the potential ramifications, but yeah, I mean, it's the start of it's the start of something in terms of, you know, drug prices. I know this has been a very, very long time coming, this kind of, um, you know, even just doing it through Medicare. Yeah. All right. Let's go to our next question, which is also tied to the Inflation Reduction Act. This is Jim from Las Vegas, and I would like to know how the 15 percent minimum corporate tax on over a million in profit would apply and what it would mean for several companies like Amazon, Tesla, or the big oils. Uh, They have other deductions to get around it. If not, how much additional income would the government get from their taxes? That's it. Thank you. Right. Yeah, I think... That, I think this is something that there's broad sort of agreement about when you hear about these extremely lucrative, you know, companies and that they paid very little or no corporate taxes. It's always a little bit jarring. Mm-hmm. And uh, as he mentioned, you know, Amazon, Tesla, Meta, you know, all these big companies, there have been in recent years these stories about how they've paid 
in some cases, no taxes during years where they have appeared to have, you know, very big profits. So this 15 percent minimum minimum corporate tax, it's basically, you know, it's part of how Democrats plan to pay for all the hundreds of billions of dollars in energy and climate technology investments uh, in this bill that we talked about earlier this week. And this is it's sort of, you know, it's not like a first line solution. It's not raising the corporate tax. It's not closing uh, you know, a lot of these deduction loopholes, but it's an attempt to cl- close some loopholes in the tax code that have let these very big profitable companies like Amazon and Tesla essentially pay very little. Currently, the corporate tax rate is 21%. This is an effort to get them a little closer to paying their fair share. And so how it would work is, you know, according to an analysis in the Washington Post, Companies with at least $1 billion in income would be required to calculate their annual tax liability in two ways. So the first is kind of the usual way that they uh, calculate it for, for tax purposes, which is 21% of profits, less deductions and credit, credits, which is where those, uh, you know, those deductions come in for those companies that really shrink their tax liability. There are all kinds of deductions, uh, you know, depreciation of all of their capital investments and those kinds of things. This would require another calculation applying the 15% minimum rate to the earnings they report to shareholders on their financial statements, which is a little different. This is known as book income. So whichever amount is greater, that would be what they owe. Now, this is how it works in theory. In practice, tax experts aren't totally convinced that this is you know, going to necessarily make it so that all those big companies end up paying what, you know, I think people would consider to be their fair share. They still have a lot of options for getting around, you know, those deductions are are a pretty big thing. And then on top of that, it just accountants make their money. Exactly. You know, and I mean, it's all it's all in the tax code. They find their ways. Um, But ultimately, this just really wouldn't apply to very many companies. You know, uh, the, the Joint Committee on Taxation estimated earlier in in the bill's life cycle that it would affect maybe 150 companies would be subject to this tax. That was before there were some last minute changes to exempt companies controlled by private equity firms. That was kind of the little thing that uh, Kristen Sinema got in the bill before she agreed to support it. So it was originally estimated to generate maybe $300 billion over 10 years. Now it's closer to $200 billion. And um, this is separate from the 15% global minimum tax that folks are talking about kind of on the global stage. You might have heard about European Union. uh, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen is working on this with OECD companies. Uh, A lot of them have signed on, which would target companies, you know, moving their headquarters or sort of financial headquarters to these low tax havens to get out of paying taxes in the countries that they actually do business. Um, That is... That's still in process. Oh, taxes, taxes, taxes. That that was a lot. <laughs> that was a lot. That was kind of an, then, enough talk of taxes maybe for today. <laughs> well, and I think we're going to be unpacking this for months. This is a, such a huge piece of legislation that touches so many parts of the economy. I we're know, and every of piece of it, it is so complicated. We could do, yeah. yeah, we could do an entire show on each little piece of it. So, all right, next question of the day. Let's hit it. 
Hi, my name is Ben. I'm from Austin, Texas. I was calling uh, to see if you could help make me smart about a phrase that keeps popping up in discussion around inflation. And the phrase is, people who are living paycheck to paycheck, or just this idea of paycheck to paycheck in general, is paycheck to paycheck supposed to refer to just those on fixed incomes, the elderly, uh, the disabled, etc.? Or is it really apply to all of us, and how should we think about it when we hear it? I think this is an example of one of those imprecise bits of language we use in journalism and we just need to do better. Um, because there isn't a single clear definition of what paycheck to paycheck means. I mean, look, all of us it, that get a paycheck, which not everybody right. does, some people are paid in, in different ways, mm -hmm. um, you know, we spend that paycheck on different things and then we get the next one, spend that on different things. So, but generally speaking, though, people are using it to refer to folks who don't have a lot of savings and need that next paycheck to cover their basic expenses like rent, food, and bills. At least that's how right. Investopedia and several other groups describe it. But at the same time, other people use it as a shorthand for the working poor, which isn't really fair because you can have people making up in the six figures who you know, either live exactly at their means or beyond their means sure. and need each paycheck to, to keep it up. And yeah. There are several reports out there that talk about how many Americans are living paycheck to paycheck mm -hmm. with various definitions depending on who's doing the polling. And it ranges from like 50 to 63%. And again, it just depends on how it's defined. And so you really do have to pay attention yeah, to the fine print. Yeah, that seems high. Yeah. Well, not really. I mean, if you think about it, that's half of Americans who need their next paycheck to pay the mm -hmm. bills that they have coming up. That could be a perfectly responsible way of living, you know, as long as you have a paycheck. It just doesn't right. leave you much wiggle room. Yep. Um, and, and, you know, with rising housing costs, so many people are spending, you know, 30, 40, 50% of their income on housing. How could you not live paycheck to paycheck? So yep. anyway, there are, it, it, it means a lot of things to different people mm -hmm. and there's no exact definition, but it doesn't, it, some people use it as shorthand for the working poor, mm -hmm. but that's not really an accurate shorthand because there are plenty of people making a lot of money, but still living paycheck to paycheck. At Marketplace, when we used to do those polls every every now and again, those surveys that we used to do, I think we had a question economic that we always would include. Polls. That's right, the economic anxiety index that we used to do. Um, we always used to have a question in there. It was one of our standard questions. I think you know, are you prepared for a five hundred dollar emergency? And I think during the pandemic, we added, are you prepared for a two hundred and fifty dollar emergency? And yeah, the percentage of people who said no, even to the $250 emergency, was strikingly high, um, and particularly, you know, during the those early months of the pandemic when unemployment was skyrocketing and people, you know, couldn't get their unemployment checks and all that stuff. But yeah, no, I mean, it it is always kind of striking to realize um, that that is the situation for, for such a majority of people. Yeah. Well, what a lovely, happy up note to end on. But that is it for us today. Thank you for listening. Make Me Smart is going to be back tomorrow with some news. And this time we'll actually have some Make Me Smiles. <laughs> All right. In the meantime, please keep sending your questions. Our email again 
is makemesmart at marketplace.org. Or you can leave us a voicemail at 508-UB-SMART, which I now realize is proper grammar if you're speaking in the imperative sense. You be smart. Oh. <laughs> sure. Let's go with that. <laughs> it's a command. Make me smart is, yes, it's a command. You be smart. Be best. <laughs> anyway, Make Me Smart is produced by Marissa Cabrera. Olivia Chow is our intern. Alan Rolfus writes our newsletter. Today's show was engineered by Charlton Thorpe. Ben Talladay and Daniel Ramirez composed our theme music. And our senior producer is Bridget Bodner. That was nice timing on that ending there, Megan. Hey. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. The Daily Show podcast has everything you need to stay on top of today's news and pop culture. You get hilarious satirical takes on entertainment, politics, sports, and more from John and the team of correspondents and contributors. The podcast also has content you can't get anywhere else, like extended interviews and a roundup of the weekly headlines. Listen to The Daily Show, Ears Edition, wherever you get your podcasts.